You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's Talk Radio Show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho and guest host PJ Ewing. All right, this week inside the huddle, it's a double header. First up, in the middle of rehearsals for the Barber of Seville at LA Opera, it's the dreamy Italian bass baritone mm. Luca Pisaroni. Now, that's Oliver's description, not mine, but <laughs> I'll give it to him. He is pretty dreamy. Then for the second interview of the Twinite, it's the young Heldon tenor Robert Watson, who just completed his lyric opera debut as Eric in The Flying Dutchman. Plus, two-minute drill, we say farewell to one of the true digital originals, James Jordan. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Spotify. You click follow on Apple Podcasts. You hit the plus sign. Hey, look, send us a voice memo or email us your hot takes. It's easy. Mailbag at operaboxscore.com, or you can just record your thoughts using the You Got Something to Say page on our website, operaboxscore.com. Hey, look, however you contribute, you're going to get the OBS Beer Coaster, the OBS Lapel Pen, and the all-new number one OBS fan foam finger just for sharing your own hot take. Yikes. Oliver Camacho, there you are, ready to do this show yet again. It's October, and if you're a singer or if you work in uh, law school recruitment, <laughs> it's just a really tough season. And what is Weston's excuse? I have no idea. It's not just the high lazy. holy holidays. Yeah, but uh, we are, um, I don't want to say we're scraping the bottom of the barrel, but uh, maybe that's what I mean. <laughs> Ouch. No, 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 no. I'm just meaning to say that we're very grateful that we have a pitch, yeah. pitch, pinch, pinch hitter. Pinch, pinch pinch hitter yeah yeah a pinch hitter tonight so uh, no de- <laughs> designated hitter of course they got yeah. rid of the designated hitter in the national league a couple years ago pj ewing there you are from the bottom of the barrel apparently yeah <laughs> uh, dude oh, I, I listen i'm, I'm so <laughs> no i'm so excited that you're on this show you you've been an avid listener then you started recording the occasional spot from the met you've helped us out with the website and this is how we repay you is by like putting you on the show it's the least we could do a lot of pressure i mean you threw me there's right no in. pressure there's no None, there's no I, pressure. he got the call at uh what 5 p.m maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> and it then we started uh production yeah. at, about two hours later so <laughs> it's it's like he was playing triple a ball out in iowa and then he got a call from the cubs and he hopped on a bus and here he is pj what's your what's your you're in the big leagues now what's your sports talk Ah, my sports talk. Yeah. I mean, in terms of radio, do you mean, or do you mean? uh... I mean, like, what are you watching in sports right now? What's happening in your sports? I am all about soccer, uh, football, world football. My daughter is now obsessed with Messi and Ronaldo, as all kids seem to be. So we're tracking every, every play, the Premier League and the major league soccer and uh and also well, you're not gonna have a lot to you're not gonna have a lot to track, quite frankly. Messi is uh out yikes. Yeah, injury, and they're out of the picture. But uh, yeah, it, I became obsessed, uh, and now I just follow that sport pr- primarily. Primarily, it's amazing. There's another sport you watch as well. We're going to get to that later on in the show. Oliver and gymnastics. Yeah, it's really a great time to be an American gymnastics fan. Uh, everybody knew that this would happen, but Simone Biles is back on the scene. 
and is officially the most decorated gymnast in history from the World Gymnastics uh, World Championships in Antwerp. And the big news to me is that the men's team finally medaled after a drought of Mm -hmm. more than 20 years. They took the bronze, which is incredible and bodes well for their chances of meddling at next year's Olympics. So I'm very excited. I really don't care who gets a medal. I just like to watch all the tights. You know, the (laughs) NHL season starts tomorrow. Connor Bedard was the big draft for the Chicago Blackhawks. He may well be the next Sidney Crosby and he might just be the thing that Chicago's going to need to kind of turn their club around. We will see. But right now, we're going to talk some opera. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. I have been a fan of Luca Pizzaroni for so long. And it takes me being in this business for, what, since 2007. So uh, 16 years to finally have enough clout to just call up LA Opera and say, hey, look, I have this show. I want to talk to Luca Pizzaroni. They're like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, no. They You're weren't so like that. Cool. They weren't like that at all. But Luca Pizzaroni is such a nice guy. And he literally just came home from rehearsals uh, of Barbara Seville. Barbara Seville starts, I think, October 21st. So okay. not this coming Saturday, but the following Saturday at LA yeah. Opera. He's singing Don Basilio. We talk mostly about uh, singing Mozart. And I did ask him the question, what is his act of a Mozart opera? So let's hear the aria that really is one of his calling card uh, pieces. This is Madamina uh, from a performance at the Salzburg Festival in 2014. Madamina, Thank you so much for being our guest on Opera Box Score. I'm a huge fan. Uh, I've always loved your stage presence. You know, you're a very good looking guy, which is good. But uh, you also, you know how to use your body on stage. And I always imagine that you took some Commedia dell'arte training maybe and when you were studying because you have this physical comedy. I know that Italians just, it's in your blood, you know, like just to use the body to gesture, you know. But, uh, you know, when you sing Maramina, the timing is so good in it, you know. And uh, I've, you know, also your Alidoro, uh, other things I've seen, it's just always such a, a real pleasure to watch you perform. Thank you very much. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Mozart and Belcanto. Why do you think that your voice and your temperament fits this repertoire so well? Look, it's not been, it was not a decision. I, you know, I always saw my career as a journey. And uh, I thought if, you know, for my kind of voice, um, starting with Mozart and Beccanto 
was a natural, you know, a natural beginning. Uh, you know, I think if you, you know, if you start singing and you feel like your voice is like Siepi or Bruzon, this kind of dark, heavy, then I think uh, starting with heavier repertoire is it's normal. But in my case, you know, it, I, uh, you know, I just had to grow into it. And I find this repertoire uh, endlessly fascinating, to be honest with you. You know, there is never a moment where I do this repertoire and I think, oh, it is, you know, it's boring or I don't find any anything interesting in it. And especially Mozart, I think Mozart is is so it's like it's like theater for me. And and I enjoy doing it, and I enjoy discovering every time uh, I do certain role, even those roles that I've done, you know, 15, 20 times. I I I really uh, thrive in the discovery of something new, and uh, repeating. I always say my idea of L is just doing the same roles in the same way. Yeah, for like two hundred times. So I'm absolutely happy when I discover new thing, or I can offer new things, or new side of a character that I am so familiar with. So it's it. it I find it is very close to me, and I find that is a very good um, step to move into heavier repertoire eventually. Well, right now you are uh, preparing Basilio in Barbiere. Um, Basilio, I, I don't know how to characterize this guy. I mean, like you can play him old and weird, or you could play him like just kind of like asexual and creepy, or you know, I don't know what is your uh, idea for Basilio. I know it's based a lot on uh, the stage director over there, but um... look, it's a, a here is 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 not old, uh, is not creepy. It's um, you know, is a little bit a mixture between a. I was, how can I say, a politician and mm -hmm. uh, and um, somebody who works, you know, in administration that has bureaucrat, you know, yeah. a bureaucrat. Great, yeah. exactly that, you know. And uh, and I think I think you don't have to play it like this. And um, things have evolved, you know. If you look at the how this role was was, um, you know, portrayed. In the 90s and now it's a completely different different you know perspective it's a little bit like figaro he used to be you know not very tall um a little bit you know chubby uh and uh and now you know all the younger people do it and it doesn't have to be in it doesn't have to be like this i think in this production is really somebody who uh thinks very highly about himself and uh tries tries to get as much money and as much power that he can that he can in any situation is in it and and the thing and the thing to me is that that is very interesting that he has no morals and he has no loyalty because even even with Bartolo and they pretend to be best friend and allies at the end he betrays him as well just because the count gives him a ring and he asks him to yeah. sign the marriage contract. Yeah. So it's not it's not, you know, somebody who has really great morals. But yeah. I have to say it is so much fun to play on stage. And um and fun enough is my debut. I never sang it. 
And I so know, I would never, it, I couldn't imagine you singing this role. So, you know, so it's, it's fun. It's really fun for me. Um, you are, as I said at the top of the interview, um, very good with your body and with gesture. Um, did you study, you know, theater or acting apart from your singing, or did this all come together as you were training? So, yes, I did. I actually at the Conservatory Milano knew I have mandatory theater lessons, and I had a phenomenal teacher who really helped me, um, you know understand my body and use my body as a tool to express uh, the feelings and what the character wants to say. And um, it's interesting to me because I think it's very hard to be, to, to do little and to convey something because, you know, to go on stage and move a lot and do and run around, it's easy. It's actually, um, you know, it's actually thinking about your role and reacting like a quote-unquote normal person without exaggeration, without overacting, that's difficult. And um, he said two things uh, that really changed me. One, he said, the, the first thing is your voice, meaning you have to act with your voice. And I remember he made me sing arias without moving anything because he said, if I don't hear the acting in your voice, I'm not interested in gestures. And the second is that he said to me, um, singers are always worried about what comes next. I have that phrase and the I notice coming and this. And, and he said, but the great secret of being a great actor is to think about listening to the present and processing what your colleagues just said so that your reaction is going to come out incredibly natural is like a little bit like the pieces created in that moment because you take in what your partner says and you react because you listen to it and this really seems very easy but this has really made a difference to me and uh, at me you know keeping especially when we talk about Richita TV keep them incredibly fresh like it's really theater that is created in that moment. Well, it's too bad that we're just a podcast and people can't see just even naturally your whatever you had a long day of rehearsal, but you still can't help but to <laughs> use your hands. Yeah, because, <laughs> is... you know, first of all, I'm Italian. So yeah. half of my <laughs> language is hands. And, uh, and also because um, I'm very passionate about it because I think we have a great responsibility as singers, not only to sing beautifully and to have a great voice, but also to convey emotion. And this has to come towards our body. And, and I think it's very important. It's very important that we do that because I think once you, we are able to connect with the audience, really it, it can enrich the audience much more than the just, you know, being perfect musically. It's very important, but I think the, the the union of the two makes this art form amazing. I think your brand, if you don't mind me saying, is that you are this good-looking guy with a very handsome voice, and you are impish and energetic and lovable. And that makes me wonder how you, you know, use what your brand is and how do you fit it into a role like Golo in Peleos? 
That's a very interesting because Golo is one of my favorite, the role, my favorite role, honestly. Mm. And I tell you why, because he has everything in it and is um, unpredictable and he is capable of highs and lows within four bars. And, and, and he allows me to go into a dark side that we all have and 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 um express it on on stage i think i think for me is like golo is like um unloved human being somebody who um who is unable to express himself and um, who who never had the time to actually take care of his feelings and what he, he what he wants and and so is a victim of his own um, inability to deal with his own fears, issue, um, um, you know, it's, it's even even his own way of, of lo loving. It is one of the best character I've ever done, on, and I get to do on stage. And it's really, it's like, for me, it's like doing therapy. Because he allows me to go to a dark side and then to to transform it for the audience, and um, it's a lot of work and it's it's exhausting to be honest with you, because because it's, it requires so much energy, but it's but it's a, it's a, it's a an adventure when you sing this role and I absolutely love it. And for me, and for me is a challenge, especially because in real life, I'm not like this. So mm -hmm. to portray somebody like this and have the audience forgetting that is me, but is somebody else is really for me a great achievement. And I, last time, you know, I did it in Berlin and the assistant director said to me, it's amazing how you change the stage, even your your face changes and like yeah because you know i'm so into the character that i cannot i have really to go you know into darkness to be able to express him and uh, and it was I, I tell you one thing the first time i did it a little story the first time i did it, i did it in paris in a production by bob wilson and it's this production where you have to be static and in the scene within the old the scene with the window where he is asking him yeah. what do you see <laughs> and he says and he says i can see melisande and i can see peleas are on the on the bed what are they doing but, well i couldn't move because that was the staging and then at the end of the of the scene i had to get up and mimic a gesture like I was slapping in Yold. Mm. And uh, we finished. And the curtain comes down. And then Yold looks at me. And my colleague looks at me. And she said, I was terrified. And I said, why? <laughs> I said, you had such an anger and, uh, in, in, your, in your look, in your eyes, that I really thought for a second, you're going to hit me. And I'm like, yeah. you know, it's unbelievable. Because I couldn't move because of the staging. So yeah. I really had to find all this keep all this anger inside me that the moment i could stand up and pretend i was slapping her i really put all my energy and and i was really happy that she saw it because it, it's it's really what i was going for 
and and um, but but you know at the end of a role like this you're exhausted because it requires really a lot of your you know feelings emotions yeah well like i said your your brand is this really likable fun you know kind of you know comedian and Thank you. i just what is it like for your maybe your friends or your family who don't know this opera and just go to see it because you're in it and then they see this side of you, and then you have to meet them backstage after the show. Do they say, Luca, what was that? <laughs> Who are yeah, you? But, but you know, I find there is always a little bit of darkness in the comedy and a, always a little bit of, of light, even in a, in a tragedy. And so, um, I, and so I try really to, to think about my own life and go, you know, deep into the moment where I was unhappy, where I was, you know, depressed, where I fell unloved. And this and this, you know, makes it for an authentic performance. And my and my friends, my family, they know this that I I am devoted to this art form. And I find this art form endlessly fascinating. And so they understand why I go so in, you know, so deep into the characters, you know. Well, on a happier topic, uh, on yes. our show, we've been um, talking about the Mozart operas, the, the, mostly the, the, the Ponte operas. And since you've sung in all of them, what to you is the best act of a Mozart opera? Single act, not the opera, just one act, based on the quality of the arias, based on the quality of the ensembles, based on the verisimilitude, you know, the, the feeling of authenticity and truth. And also the form. Uh, I won't tell you which, well, I think maybe you already know which opera wins this contest, but do you have, like, when you're singing this act of an opera, like, yes, this is amazing. This is Mozart at his best. That's a tough question. Yeah. That's a really not easy because it depends on the role that I'm playing. Ah. If I'm playing Leporello, first yeah. act of Don Giovanni. If I'm yeah. playing Figaro, I think the first act of Figaro. First but, act. Okay. But, for me, as a figure of the fourth act, because I think okay. the the you know the aria and the duet with her, it's when I get there and I sing tutto è tranquillo e placido. I I always think I wish I were a composer to just uh, written uh, that modulation. I mean, Mozart captures the absence of human beings in a page. You know, if if I think of Don Giovanni, I think the finale, the finale. You know, the uh, meeting with the commentator at the end. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it it's impossible. It is impossible to choose. <laughs> it's impossible to choose. But if I had to choose one, I probably would say Don Giovanni. Don Giovanni Act One. Okay. Yes, I um, think in terms of uh, architecture, is perfection, absolutely perfection. I think. Question for you. Uh, have you ever sung Figaro and in the fourth act, the Susanna did such an amazing job of getting both ideas of Devieni, you know, the, the teasing, but also the sincere love. Have you ever felt it and you couldn't, like you just start crying or something? Cause it's like, it happened I've to been, me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It happened, it happened to me. I, uh, I had the luck in my career to have phenomenal Susanna. And uh, but there was in a in a production where recently, actually in Paris, where there was nothing on stage, 
and um, I was only focused on the singing and um, I was looking towards the audience and I had a spot on me and I, mm -hmm. the, act, the, the, the director told me, I would like to see your reaction in your face that every night I, I, I cried and I cried for the beauty of, of the music, for how my colleagues sang this aria uh, beautifully, for, for what Figaro was feeling, for the fact that he feels betrayed the day of his wedding and um and so it 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 is really hard if you are into on stage and you think about the music and what she says and what happened before not to be moved by this by this area and so it happened yes it happened in Paris recently and i was and i was really um shocked because i have i i was actually almost sobbing and and the director said, "Oh, great job, great job!" And I was like, "Yeah, that was a little bit too close oh, to home. It was not just acting. There, there it was. You know, I was, you know, in my own personal life. But it was. Yeah. It's an amazing. It's an amazing feeling to feel this. You know, to be so involved. I think I've always, I've always tried to involve myself because I think um, opera is about truth." And so either be love, anger, um, you know, uh, fury, disappointment, you just have to give it all. You just have to give it all. Well, I don't want to pry into your personal life, but you do, you know, share some of your, some of home with your fans. You know, we know about Lenny 2.0 and Tristan. Um, is this for your fans or is this because you just really love to, to share this because you, you know, you want to have these memories for yourself in the future? I don't know. What is this about your willing to, uh, you know, be this generous with your personal life, with your, with your audience? Look, look, the dogs are, are, <laughs> are amazing. I have to yeah. say my, my golden retriever and my miniature dachshund are absolutely amazing. And the funny thing is, that they are hilarious and they make my day you know brighter and 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 i wanted to share with this with with uh, you know my audience because i i find it very interesting that there is a lot of communication between them that goes on without words it's all about body posture is all about attitudes somebody sometimes is all about tails moving in a certain way <laughs> and i think it's been you know they have been some kind of a teacher for me to to show to learn how to express thing on stage yeah just with a little gesture of your body now jokes aside they are incredibly hilarious and i want to share this with the world do you follow any sports luca uh, I used to be a huge fan of um, soccer, uh -huh. but um, I lost a little bit. Um, I lost a little bit, um, you know, the passion. I am. Um, I'm a huge fan of skiing. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I had a skiing accident last year, and mm -hmm. I destroyed my left knee, and so I had mm -hmm. to have surgery. And I realized that for the kind of job that I have. I cannot allow myself to do this anymore because, you know, I had um, an accident and four days later I was on stage singing a performance of Anna Bolin in Zurich. 
and um, and um, I was limping, and everybody thought I was acting, but in fact I wasn't. <laughs> in fact, I really torn my ligament, uh, both of them, my meniscus, and and the oh, recovery that's... was uh, the recovery was really intense and painful, and I really realized that it's unfair to the theater, to the audience, to myself, to do a sport that can be have such an impact on my ability to perform and true be told that you know the years of standing on stage without doing anything it they're long gone and i need to be physically you know able to do everything that a director uh, asks from me and so except for the bob wilson paleos where you actually stand still <laughs> yeah but i tell you it is it is it's interesting because i keep saying it it takes much more energy to do this than actually move around. I tell you, I ended up growing as an artist after that production like I never thought it would be possible because actually to stand still and be in the text and being able to convey takes so much more energy than actually running around. And, and I realized there that in a lot of roles, a little gesture of the head, but done with intention, is much more interesting than actually doing too much. So, so I, I, you know, it was really interesting for me. And going back to the to the sports, I will do, you know, I will do as little as possible to to not have another accident ever again on any sports. Luca Pizzaroni, I have been a fan for so long, and Thank I'm you. so thrilled that you came on to the show to talk to us. Thank you so much for coming to. Thank you for Square. having me. Thank you for having me. And I want to say, you know, to everybody who's a little bit afraid of opera, it's amazing. It's really changed my life, and uh, and um, and he, he made me aware of things about myself that I didn't even know. And so I hope that everybody does a step towards it because it's, it is, it's life-changing, literally. It's life-changing. Just a little bit of that moment that Pizzaroni was talking about from Act 4 of The Marriage of Figaro from the studio recording uh, made with uh, the Chamber Orchestra of Europe conducted by Yannick Nézé-Séguin. Thank you, LA Opera, for putting us in touch with Luca Pizzaroni. And thank you, Luca, if you're listening to this. Um, now you know this whole time that I was just swooning over you. 
Yeah, get in line, Camacho. Get get in line. Hey, look, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Spotify. It's super easy. You just click follow. And on Apple Podcasts, you just hit the plus sign. It's a doubleheader inside the huddle tonight. Before we get down to it, little uh, fantasy football update. Okay, so Tobias Wright, formerly of this show, now dead to us. He and I are co running our fantasy football team in the opera philadelphia league uh there's two divisions we're in the grand opera division which has six teams and yes we are part of a three-way tie at the very bottom of the grand opera division one in three looking for a win tonight this could be the turnaround as we start to rack up some wins i can't wait pj there's another sport that you really like as well and this is so it's so you to like formula one racing I'm the one. I'm the one. Yeah. I love Formula One racing. And a big thing happened in Qatar yesterday where Max Verstappen was the, the winner and he won the championship for the third year in a row. That's crazy. It was Oh, it was just epic. He's one of the great racers of all time and he's getting all the accolades. And uh, it was very exciting to watch. So yeah, Max Verstappen is my story. I wonder if he's listening to like opera in his uh, you know pre-race routine. I just have to say that I have I have egg on my face. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I have egg on my face from last week. Um, Yannick Sinner came through the semis and took out Carlos Alcaraz comprehensively. Mm. Like he showed up and he (laughs) wiped the floor with Carlos Alcaraz. And I think now within their rivalry, the Alcaraz Sinner rivalry, uh, Sinner is actually ahead. So, um, oh. You know, once Novak Djokovic, you know, retires, this is a um, a rivalry to pay attention to. Uh, hopefully, in this second half of the China Open, which is in in Shanghai now, mm-hmm. we'll see a rematch. Uh, but uh, I'm worried for Alcaraz because he did not know what to do. I mean, Sinner just came to play, and there was he did Alcaraz did not have a chance. It was love it. It was a display. It was phenomenal. Opera class. Sports Radio Crass. This is Opera Box Score. Our second interview today is with tenor Robert Watson, who got on my radar earlier this summer singing The Prince in Ruzalka opposite uh, Eileen Perez at Santa Fe Opera, mm-hmm. conducted by a friend of the show, Lydia Jankowskaya. Then he shows up in Chicago to sing Eric in Dutchman. And as you heard me say last week, I really enjoyed Dutchman. It's not, you know, I'm not a Wagner person, but I thought it was a great cast. And Robert Watson Watson held his own uh, with a cast that included, you know, Tamara Wilson as Senta. So I thought, why not get him on the show? Uh, The production at Lyric is over, but he will take his Eric to uh, Teatro Reggio del Torino, I think is where his next, his next, um, uh, he's going to Europe with it. He has two performances coming really soon, I think yeah. in Italy and either in Germany or Austria. Uh, so we're going to hear uh, people in Europe. If you're listening, you're going to get to enjoy this American young Heldon tenor. I don't have any uh, recording of him singing Dutchman, but on Instagram, he has a Winterstormer. So we're going to enjoy this Winterstormer from the Staatsoper Unter den Linden. Auf Linden lüften, leicht und lieb, 
Just a little bit of Wintersturme from a production at Staatsoper Unter den Linden, featuring our guest on Opera Box Score today, Tenor Robert Watson. Welcome to OBS. Thank you so much for having me. So I just heard your Eric in the Lyric Opera production, the Christopher Alden um, Flying Dutchman. And I'm so glad that I figured out who you were before the show. So I was not going to be surprised because I was also in Santa Fe this summer. And, you know, the media team at Santa Fe uh, gives me a menu of people that I might want to talk to. And I think they offered you, but I was like, I don't know who that guy is, you know? And I just like went for Samantha Hankey and for Susan Graham and like, you know, and then I saw Rizalka and uh, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> who is this guy? Like, you know, in roles like that, you don't always expect the voice to be pulled. You expect them to get somebody who could sing loud and somebody who can, you know, play the jerk really well, you know, but uh, you don't always expect a beautiful tone. And um, yeah, I, I think that you have sort of like a, you know, almost a bel canto like tone that you're using in this Junglische Helden tenor repertoire. Would you say that's a correct description of what you're trying to do right now? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I try to train everything. I always go to my teacher, who's a bel canto specialist, to, to work on my German rep specifically mm -hmm. because you know, that's really what Wagner wanted all the way through, um, even in his mature style. I mean, it's very present in mm -hmm. Flying Dutchman. I mean, that mm -hmm. little aria that every tenor, not, I mean, it seems like every tenor hates yeah. that just the most maddening little cavatina. Um, and it's so difficult because you come from this very Wagnerian scene of like really blaring it and you have to bring it all the way back. Um, and that's what can be so difficult about that. But it's really, really present in this. And I find it's just, I mean, Bel Canto is just good singing, you know, sending the air, making sure you're writing on a constant moving stream of air the best you can. Um, you know, I mean, of course, we're not, I mean, at least myself, I'm not always perfect. So there's going to be things every performance. Okay, got to do that better. Got to do this better. Um, but we always try to reach that just sending air and riding on it and, and enjoying it. I wish it was like that for every performance, but you know, the world is the world. So you did Wolf Trap and Merola and also the Dolores Ajic uh, Institute for voices that are going to be big. I forget what they're thinking. Young called. dramatic voices, yes. <laughs> so it seems like, you know, in your uh, training days, people recognized that you were going in this direction. Uh, do you feel like they took care of you? Did they? Do you feel like they knew what to do with your voice? Yeah. Um, well, it was always interesting. Um, I mean, I, my voice got kind of big and loud when I was about 14. And I was lucky enough to find um, somebody when I was young who could teach me operatically because I was doing musical theater. And I was always, you know, the dad or the baritone part. And then they're like, hey, you know, this is how you turn your voice. And suddenly there are high C's. I'm like, what the heck? Okay, this is mm -hmm. fun. Um, and I went to college and they switched me. Um, Dolores Logic's program was massively helpful to me. Um, I, when I came to them, I was a so sophomore in college. I just finished. It was between sophomore and junior year. And I had just sung Livili at 20. Um, and I was in not good shape. I needed a, a change. I, I had a wobble and they're like, hey, you need to take some time off. You need to go back to singing baritone or just like 
nothing that turns your voice past an F sharp and relearn how to do this. And um, I was lucky enough that I, I went back to my college. I found a different teacher who was uh, William Christensen, who's just fantastic. I still see him to this day. Um, and they really helped me, you know, to take the, it's, it's such a hard, it, taking things on in a, in a heavy fog when you know you're that when you're young is so difficult because you've got to be careful, but at the same time, you have to be daring enough that you're not, I'm not trying to shove my voice into cozy, which I couldn't sing until I was in my late twenties, which I, I still warm up with Mozart and things like that, which are important, but, um, yeah, you know, I mean, and the Marilow was very important because I was working with Cesaro Yoa out there and he helped, you know, make sure I was singing the right things. I uh, started doing a lot of Britain around that time because it was something my voice could do, but it was not, you know, if I was going to have bad habits built up in Rape of Lucretia, for instance, it wasn't going to be the end of the world as if I had been like, oh, well, I'm going to go sing Eric at 25. And, oh, no, I have all these bad habits in my in my mu muscle memory now. What am I going to do? Um, and then Wolf Trap was was probably the reason I have a career is uh, they were they they recognized that I needed to probably head to Europe, which is what I did. Uh, and they got me in the right years of some people and um, really gave me a lot of exposure that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, I owe a lot to uh, Kim Whitman and Leanne Mislisky. Um, they're absolutely were very important in my development and basically getting to a fest. I sang for um, who was at the time, I, he's head of music at the Met now. He was head of music at Vienna, Thomas Lausman at the time. And he's like, yeah, you just need to be in a fest and just like sing Gahana Shaman a thousand times and just like figure out what you're doing. Uh, but things moved pretty fast once I got to Deutsche Oper and they realized, oh, you can do roles. I'm like, yeah. Can you can you say the name of the teacher that you were recommending again that you still see to this day, William oh, Christensen? Dr. William Christensen. He teaches at okay. Oklahoma City University. He is okay. um, he was trained by uh, James King at IU. Oh, uh, he was nice. a health center, but he had a family starting when he was first year in Germany. He went to Stuttgart, sang Mops, and then okay, I got to get back to you know my family and you know do that whole route. He's a phenomenal um, health and tenor. And uh, kind of really helped is always been kind of my my guide in in helping understand mm -hmm. that. And it was it, it was by pure serendipity that we even found each other. I was going back to college, which I had dropped out for a semester because when I was figuring my voice out after Dolores program, because uh, they were going to do uh, La Rondine and they're like, you're going to sing it. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And <laughs> what I had, I literally had to drop out for a semester. Because my scholarship was, you know, depended upon me singing in the operas. Um, and I was up there for my 21st birthday and I ran into this guy, uh, Dr. Bill is what we call him. And we got into conversation about all the things I was learning about support and chest compression, which is a big thing with Delora about like the idea of the chest kind of has a bit of a, you know, it, it's all, in, it's all intrinsic within the support system. I don't want to get too far into it. Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, oh my gosh, this is, these are all the things I've been like, I didn't understand and need to go. Maybe I should come back here. I have a scholarship. It will be easier because the option for me is I was going to go straight to San Francisco to work with Cesar. And that was always the plan. Dolores like, this is your path. This is what you're going to do. Do not pass go. Do not collect, collect $200. Well, she I just wanted very, I wanted to give that teacher some credit because oh, uh, yeah. I can't I can't tell exactly how old you are. I feel like you're in your 30s. 36. Uh, 
36. Okay. You didn't have to tell us, but thank you. Oh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not shy. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a very, already a very impressive thing that you're doing and you're already, you know, singing Zygmunt and Eric, and we can see that, you know, uh, Siegfried is probably in your future, you know? Well, we'll see. I mean, I like to, Siegfried, I would say would probably be 10 more years from now or something like to that? me than Zygmunt. I, oh, I don't really? know how much I would be doing. Zygmunt's very low and my voice mm-hmm. sits pretty high. And okay. that's why, I mean, that's why I really like to stick. Honestly, my guy in the German rep is Strauss. I okay. adore Strauss. Cool. Yeah, we should oh. talk about the bros like that. But in one second. Sorry, uh, sorry. Like, no, 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 no. We'll, tangent. We'll, get, we'll get there in one second. Um, I just wanted to, before we do, um, a- ask you, because you're, you're still in your 30s and maybe you could still remember this, what it was like to be in your 20s and to know that you had this you know, bigger voice. Because when I was in school, I remember all of these people thinking, oh, my voice is too big. I can't sing Mozart. I can't sing bel canto. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, my voice, I can't move my voice, you know. And like that always was like smelled like BS to me. Mm-hmm. Can you say something that might, might, you know, help people who actually do have a big voice understand what it feels like? I know you only have your voice, so you have well, nothing to compare it to, but maybe somebody has told yeah. you it's like. Well, I would say, I mean, those things, singing Mozart and moving my voice were always very difficult, but it was never something that I wanted to try not to do. I was, come hell or high water, I was going to be able to sing Il Mio Tesoro because, you know, even if I wasn't going to bring it anywhere to, uh, it, but it was frustrating. It was difficult um, finding um, the right thing to sing when it was the right time to sing it. Uh, it, it. It was because, again, you want to sing things that are comfortable, um, but also not over, you know, not overtax yourself. I mean, I, I still have not heard Andre Chenier to this day because I don't want to get it in my ears because I know that I'll be singing it all the time and I want to keep, keep those things as far away as, as I can. Um, so it was, a, it was a bit like a tightrope walk, you know, doing what you could when you could. I, I was also very lucky to have a great uni- undergrad that was understood that they had a tenor with a, a larger voice who could use it. Um, so they were, you know, we worked on, a, you know, Traviata, we, we did, you know, we did Pagliacci, it was 15 minutes of singing. They're like, you can do this. Um, and ultimately it was very good that I got that training because I developed a, a lot of stage acumen, um, which helped me so much when I moved to Germany and it was like, you work every night, it's a different show and you got to keep your head on a swivel. If I didn't have like a background of like Stanislavski and like performing all the time, I would have been sunk mm-hmm. about like how to throw yourself into a role and understand, okay, what are my objective? You know, ABC, sorry, again, going off on a toll. No, answer. no, but you, you brought up um, James King. Are there any other tenors that you've listened to and you feel like, okay, this guy's doing it healthy. I can learn from, from this. Ben Hepner. I mean, Ben Hetner is just absolutely wonderful. My Desert Island recording is the end of Ariadne with him and uh, Voigt uh, with the Sinopoli uh, Dresden uh, recording. The end of that is just divine. Um, I'm trying to think, people in that far. Um, I like Helms Roskevenge. I've got to pronounce that right. He yeah. He's one of my uh, absolute favorites in in that far. Again, the, 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 the heavier tenors that never lost a real sense of how to sing like a tenor. Um, which I think sometimes you um, can get bogged down in these roles of, I'm going to make my voice, you know, yeah. it's like, mm, no, 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 no. You, you got to go up to the top, buddy. 
So we got to keep this slim. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I'm a huge fan of Jonas Kaufman, to be honest. Uh, I really, really love Jonas' voice. I know he can be a polarizing voice to some, but some of the artistic things he can do, like his Strauss, his Strauss uh, songs yeah. are brilliant. Yeah, and his and his Mariah Carey. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I think he knew exactly what he was doing with that. He knew exactly <laughs> what was going to happen. He's a smart guy. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we're all talking about it. I, I, <laughs> I adore it. Um, okay, so you brought up uh, Bacchus already, and you've already had a chance to sing Bacchus. Uh, yeah. Whenever I get to that point in the opera, I almost feel like, okay, I'm probably going to just turn this off at this point, because like I never feel like the tenor is comfortable in that thing. Oh. It seems like the most brutal. No, no, I love it. But it just seems like the most brutal throat busting. What is it? Mm. 10 minutes of singing? <laughs> it is, but it's, it's not too different differently written than Puccini. Like if you look at it, like the way, yeah, yeah, it is a bit, I would say one of the biggest roadblocks with what makes it so difficult is the German language. No offense to German. My wife is German. I live there. It's my second language, but it's, um, it's because of the didactic nature of the consonants and some, and there's not as much, I would say when you're working, especially in Germany on German and you know, they want to hear every single thing, no matter, they don't care. They don't care. Oh, I have to turn my voice here. I don't care. That sounds, the vowel sounds too dark. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, eyes. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm going to, it's going to, it's an F sharp. It's going to have to go a little coupo here. Um, so I think it's what happens a lot of times is we have to find a, um, a balance. I mean, Bacchus is difficult, but I would say Mateo makes Bacchus look like a walk at the park. Mateo and what? Matteo and Arabella, the act okay. three is absolutely insane. He has this minute and a half aria that's just, uh, you have like an eight measure long B natural followed by like three consecutive B flats that just It's just like, what? And this is after a long, long scene of just constantly just like getting, getting really upset with Arabella. And it's just, yeah, I mean it's crazy, but it's also like it keeps you it keeps you honest. You have to like make sure again to really keep it lined up, or you can't you can't get through it. So you've also sung Steva in uh, Yenufa. Is Lotsa also a tenor? Uh, I've I forget. sung Lotsa. I'm singing okay. Steva coming up. No, I know okay. it's 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 because there's yeah. the two guys. Yeah, which is also a punishing tessitura on Lotsa. My gosh. And you've done Prince and Rizalk. We just heard, and uh, you sung Pinkerton. So. I don't know. There's sort of a theme running through some of these guys in this Fach. I don't know what you can say about these roles that you have to play where, I mean, really, they're just, they're dicks. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to dare to let yourself be not loved, you know, in order to serve. You're serving as artists. We're serving a piece, you know, which is what makes opera so amazing is it's, it's, it's artwork that lives and we have to realize it. And sometimes you have to let, what you want or how you want to be seen or viewed aside because that's not going to serve the piece and you have to dig into the ugliness of these characters and honestly i find that interesting i find it so much more interesting to delve into an ugly character and find because again they're not ugly to themselves they're not bad people and they don't think they're bad people so you have to of course you know you have to go in you can't think oh i'm a jerk but you have to be 100 in that mindset so you also can't think how do i come off less a jerk you have to just be that. I mean, yeah, this summer, that was also particularly ugly prints, the way we made it brutal. But I, as I said, when we were staging the scene, 
I don't understand how this scene could be otherwise in the beginning of act two, when it's just, it's, it's, he's awful. Um, so it's, I mean, I think you do need that, like that more visceral quality of the voice. That's why they kind of need that more of that slancho, that, that, that point in their characters to give them that quality Pinkerton less so because he uses flowery language. He's not as directly like, you know, I'm going to cut your face, you know, fuck. Um, <laughs> which is very interesting in lots of the first act is in crazy yelly and then he has he tames himself throughout the piece I view it as he has one of the most amazing arcs I, I love seeing his his arc as kind of yeah like civilizing himself um, yeah. and uh, but yeah it's, it's, it's about serving the piece and, um, and making a full picture and if they hate you at the end of the night then you've done a good job <laughs> so your bio uh always mentions that you're from kansas city uh i would assume that you're uh a chiefs fan very much so football was my sport so um and my dad you know huge football fan grew up within the in the house and everything and of course you know so the chiefs are very important very you, important any advice to uh travis kelsey on how to date a musician have a lot of patience. Um, I would say um, tread lightly because she's known to write a few songs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've I've been worried about my boy Tra Travis. He's I love him. He's he's such a. I hope it goes well because he's such a uh, charismatic guy. I really like his ouvre ouvre or whatever you're gonna call it. Gosh, showing my lack of knowledge of French. Um, <laughs> It's been a while. I haven't sung Jose in a few years. Give me, give me, a, give me some uh, slack. Um, uh, but you know, um, yeah, I would say just you know have a lot of patience. Musicians are temperamental people. You know. Well, Robert Watson, uh, you have another Eric coming up in uh, where in Salzburg? No, in somewhere. Oh in, no, in, in, Deutsche Oper. Deutsche so, Oper. Okay. Yeah. We start a week after this closes. <laughs> Okay. Well, at least it's still in your head. Yeah. And then Torino <laughs> at the end of the season. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for being our guest on Opera Box Score. Thank you so much for having me. So great to have Robert Watson on the show. I'm going to brag a little bit. He and I both were part of the Marilla Opera Program together in the summer of 2012, I think it was. Yeah, exactly. Great to have him now as a friend of the show. By the way, when he goes over to Europe, he's going to be at the Deutsche Oper Berlin. Teatro Reggio Torino, Staatsoper Hamburg, and the Teatro dell'Opera di Roma. So he is just going to be eating a whole bunch of really great food. Send us a voice memo or email us your hot takes mailbag at operaboxscore.com. You can even just record your thoughts using the You Got Something to Say page on our website, operaboxscore.com. Right now, it's time for the two-minute drill. This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Opera Land this week. In a continuation of last week's story from North Carolina and the banning of unsuitable operas from WCPE's airwaves, the straw that seems to have broken the proctor's back was an open letter from Rhiannon Giddens. Giddens, a North Carolina native who shared the Pulitzer Prize this year with Michael Abels for their opera, Omar, voiced her displeasure over the station's stance, noting that challenging adult themes 
are staples of many of the most popular operas of the past. And to close the story, WCPE program director Deborah Proctor announced that the station would reverse course and air the unsuitable operas from the Mets upcoming season, despite their quote unquote adult themes and harsh language. It was a very hard decision, said Emily Moss, her colleague at WCPE. It's been a hard day and a hard week. One of the operas previously rejected by WCPE, Dead Man Walking, was just performed by members of the Met cast at New York's infamous Sing Sing Correctional Facility. Joyce DiDonato, Latanya Moore, Ryan McKinney, and Brian Waghorn were joined by a chorus comprised of incarcerated men for a one-night-only performance for 150 inmates. The shortened version of Jake Heggie's opera was the culmination of months of rehearsal. Taking a page out of the U.S. Open climate activist playbook, student supporters of Just Stop Oil took to the stage during a performance of Les Mis in the West End, flying banners and chaining themselves to the set. The rest of the performance was canceled and all patrons were sent home. The Grand Teatro del Liceo has canceled all upcoming streams on its Liceo Live channel. The company said that talks for plans to broadcast performances from the Barcelona Opera House began in 2022, but neither party had reached an agreement before the streams were announced, and the musicians and companies still haven't reached an agreement, so canceled. Winners of the Gramophone Classical Music Awards for 2023 have been announced. Soprano Dame Felicity Lott took home the Lifetime Achievement Award, honoring her performance career and discography of more than 100 recordings. Soprano Veronique Jean was awarded Artist of the Year, and she won the voice and ensemble category with her rivals recording with country woman Sandrine Pio and the London Philharmonic Orchestra's recording of Michael Tippett's The Midsummer Marriage under Edward Gardner won the opera award. In trade news, the Royal Danish Theatre has extended director Casper Holton's contract until 2027. Holton was the artistic director at the Royal Opera House from 2011 to 2017 before taking over in Copenhagen. Central City Opera has appointed Scott Finlay as president and CEO. He replaces Pamela Pantos, whose tenure lasted just 17 months. The company also noted it would start a search for a new artistic director. On the disabled list, the Wiener Staatsoper has announced a conductor change for its new production of Turandot. Marco Ameliato will take over the run of performances from Franz Welsermust, who canceled due to illness. Exit stage right, James Jordan, a feisty, influential writer and editor who brought together high culture, punk aesthetics, and gleeful camp in his opera zine turned website, Art Terrorbox, was found dead last week at his home in Queens. He was 69. Our terror box was an irreverent, essential source of news, criticism, rabid discussion, and archival recordings. With the four-page inaugural issue published in December of 1993, it was likely the world's first queer opera zine. Our terror box, Mr. Jordan wrote, is about remembering when opera was queer and dangerous and exciting and making it that way again. Australian mezzo-soprano, cabaret singer, and television personality, Jacqueline, or Jackie Dark, has lost her battle with cancer at the age of 55. A regular at Opera Australia, among Dark's operatic credits, were the title role in Rufus Wainwright's Prima Donna for the Adelaide Festival, The Old Lady in Candide for New Zealand Opera, 
and Anne in Tom Waits' Black Rider for Malthouse, Malthouse Theater and Victorian Opera. Soprano Patricia Berder Yanechkova has died of breast cancer at age 25. An official statement on Facebook said the opera and musical singer lost her courageous fight with an aggressive disease. She passed away surrounded by the tender care of her husband and her loved ones. She left a lasting legacy through her audio and visual recordings, ensuring that she will stay with us forever. And on this day, October 9th, in 1600, it was the first performance of Giulio Caccini's The Abduction of Cephalus in Florence. First performances also include André Compra's Les Ages, an opera ballet premiering in Paris in 1718, Rossini's The Siege of Corinth, also in Paris in 1826, two by Victor Herbert, both in the U.S. in 1899, The Amir, and in 1912, The Enchantress. In 1943, NBC Radio Network broadcast the radio opera by Italo Montemezzi called L'Incantesimo. In 1985, Anthony Davis's X, the Life and Times of Malcolm X premiered in Philadelphia. In the 1986, it was the premiere of The Phantom of the Opera at Her Majesty's Theatre in London, not an opera. In 1980, it was the first performance of Thomas Pussettieri's Before Breakfast in New York. And in 1999, on October 9th, it was the first performance of William Bolcom's A View from the Bridge at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Birthdays include Camille Sassons, born this day in Paris in 1835, German soprano Irmgard Seyfried in Bavaria in 1919, Finnish composer Enyohani Rautavara in Helsinki in 1928. We say happy birthday to Puerto Rican composer Roberto Sierra and South African soprano Sally Burgess, both born this day in 1953. Happy 70th. Christiana Oelsa, the soprano born in Cologne in 1963. Happy 60th? birthday yes 60th birthday and on this day october 9th in 1986 it was thomas hampson's debut at the metropolitan opera as count amaviva in marriage of figaro and that's your two minute drill the water is white i cannot get wool and neither have i wings to fly give me a boat that will carry two and both shall row my love and i down in the meadows the other day a gathering flowers both fine and gay a gathering flowers both red and blue i little thought what love can do so out of a hundred plus recordings that dame felicity lott has made hmm. i decided to hear oh whaley whaley uh a song that she recorded during the COVID era as part of the series um glyndebourne Opera House Peaceful Moments, which was meant to comfort us when we couldn't leave home. And I just thought that that was so sweet. So I wanted to revisit that moment, even though, thank goodness, we're hopefully well past that moment. Um, but man, uh, the exit stage writes this. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, please. All three of these stories are brutal. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. 
in very, very different ways. But, uh, you know, if we look more closely at James Jordan and Matt Cummings, he's not on the show this yeah, week. Well, but he, before we get to Matt Cummings, before you get to Matt Cummings comments on it, yeah. I just want to say that, like, I am considered to be, I mean, I'm, this is not hubris. Hopefully you don't think it is. But I am considered to be one of, like, the original, you know, um, online presence for opera commentary. Uh, for with, sure. With the podcast Opera Now, Michael Rice started. And I, the granddaddy I of them all. Absolutely. <laughs> and I joined yeah. shortly after its inauguration. Uh, but we had before that uh, the blog parterre yeah. and the podcasts, which were sort of random that James Jordan put out of recordings from his own library, like archival recordings. It's like, okay, we're going to, I've got this space in the internet. We're going to figure out how to share these things. You know, most of them were pirates and talk about it, you know. And uh, yeah, Parterre was definitely a part of the uh, opera landscape, especially for gay people. But actually, for a lot of opera fans, it was the, one of the original places where people could go and just talk about it. And sometimes it was really nasty. I remember one comment about, you know, uh, that we talked about on Opera Now, like, you know, taking out your pointy stilettos and getting into the yeah. chat, chat rooms of opera. <laughs> Our tear box are like battling for your favorite singers, you know, um, and that's what what it was. But I mean, that was a place for very cultured and educated opera fans to get in and just talk like they were talking with their friends. And uh, it's sad. It's very, very sad. And I just spoke to Harry Rose mm -hmm. right, right yeah. before James Jordan died. And he told me that James was sick and he was very worried. Yeah. And um, that's where I mean, um, Harry Rose went on to write. For Parterre, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's now in his early twenties. But you know, think about this kid who, you know, started his journey with opera as a teenager, probably as a teenager, and um, you know, he he himself will credit a lot of his, you know, knowledge of opera and how to talk about opera. He, he should Parterre. he should credit it. It is not an overstatement to say that essentially every single opera crossover podcast, video cast, Twitch feed, um, platform, blog, whatever, was touched or inspired by Parterre in some small way. This show certainly was. I remember coming across Parterre some years before our show started, and I was like, this is incredible. But but Parterre was, was the absolute beginning of it all, and it started as a magazine. That is mind blowing that that it became a different format when it went online in the early days of of digital. Oliver, kick us off here. Matt had a kind of a three part commentary on this, and do you want to just take kind of the first section? Sure. Well, he says that he was an avid reader of Parterre, um, and he obviously thinks that you know the death is a huge loss for the opera world. Uh, he says that James's strong strong opinions fierce defenses of his tastes and distastes and delight in the camp elements of both opera, the art form and opera, the fandom made for an endlessly entertaining blog full of incredible anecdotes and the hottest of takes. Even if the comment section did frequently turn into a trilingual brawl <laughs> that would make a nest of vipers look placid. <laughs> what Matt goes on to say is what I, Matt, remember most about the website and Jordan specifically is just how passionate and specific some of those opinions were, as Zachary Wolf alludes to in his obituary of Jordan in the New York Times. Matt says there were whole threads mocking the nondescript adjectives that some critics, 
like Anthony Tomasini, who preceded Wolf at the Times, would use to describe, quote, muscular, robust, earthy baritones or the fluffy puff pieces from the trade magazines. Longtime opera fans would swap stories about the great singers they'd seen. But it wasn't only, why can't anyone do it like the greats anymore? I mean, there was plenty of that, says Matt. But there was also a healthy appreciation of many up-and-coming singers and truly palpable excitement when someone lived up to the stratospheric expectations. PJ, give us Matt Cummings' final thoughts on James Jordan. Matt says, there was a sense that you were getting to see opera as the true connoisseurs understood it and held frequently expressed by the users. But it was certainly true of James Jordan, whose love of opera and singers came through even in his harshest and crudest critiques. It wasn't often that he would engage in the brawls in the comment section, but when he did, you had better run for cover. (laughs) The man took no prisoners. And when you take a look at the arc of his career as an arts critic, it's really stunning to see the journey from literally cutting and pasting together pictures to create an underground zine that he was kicked out of the Met for distributing to one of the most influential tastemakers of the art form. He is a legend in the field, and may he rest in peace. I would add, PJ, here's the thing. You've lived in New York for many years. When you read Parterre online, there was something very New York about it. It was like, this could only exist in New York City. Brash and straightforward and from the streets and uh, but honest. educated yeah. and so knowledgeable. Mm, mm. It's beautiful. I mean, there is a sensibility there that I think New Yorkers have. I think Chicagoans have, for the for that matter. But it's uh, it's uh, it's straightforward, and I think I think a lot of people really appreciated that. Can I just say for people who don't uh, didn't read Parterre, didn't participate, the same way that there is a passion about. Um, RuPaul's Drag Race among the queer community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that same passion and knowledge of the you know the institution of RuPaul's Drag Race and all the winners and contestants and there are people who are really really like mm-hmm. go deep and follow these uh, contestants as they embark on other careers you know outside of RuPaul like and and whose careers are launched by RuPaul. Like there's a whole set of friends that I have who like care so much about this. I've never been interested. I really don't care that much, but I understand the passion. That's what Parterre was for opera. And uh, it's crude to compare the two things, but really it's it's the same people. Just this generation cares more about drag than they care about Renata Scotto, you know. Parterre, the, the part of the ground floor of an auditorium in, in the rear and on the sides, the part sometimes underneath the balcony. I, I just love that image of, of this person kind of in the shadows on the fringe, but so connected and so opinionated about this entire business, this world that we call opera. Speaking Debbie, of you- uh, the, getting close to the opera, we have these inmates who... Um, you know, got a chance to be really close to <laughs> Joyce DiDonato and um, Ryan McKinney and Latanya Moore. I wonder if they were affected by just the sound of those voices. We all know as opera goers that this is what hooks us in, is just being, you know, next to a human being when they can make incredible noises like that. I wonder if that is really 
Joyce's um, strategy, you know, in doing this type of outreach. And I think it's, I, I mean, there are things that are known about Joyce Donato as like her personality, like her, you know, personality for audiences and like how, when she's on what she's like, and, you know, and like, she's a brand, you know, and like, she's very good at protecting her brand and maybe the difference between what her personal brand is and what she's like as like a colleague or what she's like, you know, behind the scenes. I don't care about any of that stuff because I do think that she puts her money where their mouth is and she does these types of things, which are clearly not for her own, you know, she's, what is she getting out of it? I mean, what is, it's not like a monetary thing or it's not like, no, you know, yeah, it's like she I feel like she really does care about this and she wants to show the power of now I'm sounding really cheesy, the, the power of music to people who might not have been exposed to it in their whole lives, you know, and For now sure. are getting the chance when they're in a correctional facility. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm a fan of this uh type of outreach. And uh, um yeah, I think and it's I mean, she could have sung anything. She could have sung you know, Rossini to them or Mozart to them, but she wanted to do this opera to them so they would have mm-hmm. an access exactly. point. You know? Exactly. Oliver, are you uh, are you a fan of WCPE's About Face? <laughs> We're done talking about that. PG, you have anything to say about uh, singing to prisoners? Uh, singing to prisoners, I think, I, I'm sure she inspired some people. I, I'm sure that there was, there was some sonic quality, there was some emotion that they had never heard before and I know that she changed lives. I'm sure. I'm sure of that. So we almost prevented a bunch of people from hearing this opera in uh, North Carolina with this WCPE story. <laughs> but it, I think it was embarrassing for um, you know North Carolina, whatever city. I forget what city it is. You know, it was embarrassing for those people to have their station, you know, make the news uh, because of this. And um, yeah, I mean, Deborah Proctor, she can have her convictions. She's clearly a very spiritual person. And, um, you know, we can't tell her how to feel about opera, but she is in a job, as Ashley said, uh, or had to save her last week. She's in a job. She's representing a whole community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not it's not her right to prevent people from getting exposure to this work, you know. And the FCC has regulations. So you're not going to have curse words on look, the air, you know? Look, the, the movement in opera now is to get rid of the gatekeepers of this art form, which is preventing people from keeping it going. And when her actions were essentially to be a gatekeeper and to, to say like, no, we're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna let this affect our community. And that was, that was a, a poor choice. I will say that, uh, so a, an unnamed source wrote to us who was close to the production at the Met and and said that the guys playing inmates in Dead Man Walking were told to tone down the F-bombs and the mother effers during dress rehearsals. I, I can't imagine that but, is... But to be clear, they're not the chorus who are going to be on the HD broadcast or at the radio, radio broadcast later this season. So that's, that's completely true. That's separate, true. completely separate. Well, and our course, our, our our source went on to say, hey, I say more F-bombs. Let, let's get kids to listen to opera for the dirty stuff. Oh, you wanted to talk about really quickly the um, climate activists in a... I just thought that was brilliant. Uh, that was going to be my good call, but I got a different good call now. Anyway, so s- student supporters of Just Stop Oil, which is a environmental activist organization, which has now become famous, infamous for you know gluing themselves to pieces of art, they uh, protested during one of um, conductor Vladimir Yurovsky's 
uh, performances in Berlin where he actually gave them the stage, which is kind of brilliant. Look, like this is the world is not climate change is now uh, an understatement. Climate chaos is even an understatement. What the the head of the UN is calling out is climate boiling, which just makes me kind of shiver, right? But if you want to get people's attention, then you have to do drastic things. No one got hurt. Was the show, remember the show was canceled? Yeah, absolutely. Did Just Stop Oil make their point? And oh my gosh, did they make their point? Coming on stage as the cast launches into, you know, do you hear the people sing? It was like, they're not dummies. They knew what they were doing. It was well-timed. It was clear what their actions were. They made their point and no one got hurt. Genius. Let us wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Good call, bad call. A way to finish things off. We will start with Oliver Camacho. Just a bad call because cancer really sucks. Uh, and those two stories that we didn't really spend much time talking about, um, Jackie Dark and um, Patricia Berta Janichkova, 55 and 25. Uh, we know that a lot of people not just in the opera world, you know, deal with this, but um, to lose two in one week, um, two or both had so much music ahead of them. That's really not great. EJ Ewing. Yes, I do have a good call. And that is that I was fortunate enough to see Maestro, the new Leonard Bernstein focused film, Bradley Cooper's project over the last five years at the Geffen's, Geffen uh, Hall the other day. And I was in the, the good seats. The Netflix seats right in the middle. And it was a very interesting production. And I can't wait. You know, in November, everyone will have opinions about, you know, how the production and, and the, the film and, you know, was it true to music and was there not enough music? Well, what's the scoop? That'll be, well, it was, it was, there was not, there was not a lot of music in it. It was more about the relationship and okay. his life and his bisexuality. And it was very true to him. And it was fascinating. And, and I took all that away. It was a, a beautiful treatment, a, a study of a man's life. There was a real absence of any understanding of the creation of the music and what he was doing in the in the musical world and what a figure he was in in that on that side of his life. But I will say that the funny thing is that what struck me more than anything in this good call uh, this this past week was the sound. They had forty <laughs> men build an Adolby Atmos system in Geffen Hall. Hundreds of thousands of dollars were spent for just two screenings. I happened to see the late one that day. I have never heard sound like that. I may never again hear sound like that, at least in a movie setting. It blew me away, this truly surround sound that I I was able to witness in the screening. It was it was a really fun, fun occasion. Hmm. That is incredible. I also have a good call as well, going back to um, Jackie Dark's passing. She played the role of Anne in Tom Waits' Black Rider, which is Tom Waits' version of the opera Freischutz. I just think that's so awesome that Tom Waits <laughs> did an opera version of, of Freischutz. I would love to direct that one day. Amazing. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Get your voice heard and 
Find links to stuff we've talked about at our website, operaboxscore.com, the all-new website courtesy of PJ Ewing. And hey, that's also where you can put your money where our mouths are. You just give back to the OBS on the support the team page. Your announcer is Norm Waddell. Your creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. And your audio editor is Weston Williams. For our guest host, PJ Ewing, and guests, Luca Pisaroni and Robert Watson, I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera as your open letter makes a program director do a 180 on her racist ideas. We're back with an all-new show next week when Rolando Viazon takes a free throw on, uh, well, it's Rolando, so who knows? Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more advice on how to date a singer. Join us.